I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. If you use your pew Bible, it's page 1028. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not in putting their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are a guest this morning, uh, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It's a wonderful time at the Mount Juliet Congregation. As you uh, know, we will be appointing 12 additional deacons uh, this evening. It is wonderful to have much work to do. Uh, to God, we give the glory for the workers, for the leaders, and for all the ministries and the opportunities that he gives us. We look forward to seeing if the Lord wills time in 2014 of the good work that he gives us to do. Saturday at 4 p.m., Nelson Mandela's casket rolled into the village where he wanted to be buried. The man is remembered as one of the great leaders of our lifetime. He started his fight as a student studying law, trying to overcome the mind of prejudice in a national governing system known as the apartheid. It was a segregating system which segmented every class and every race from one another. He later moved from the legal pursuit to help to lead and organize a militant resistance to the oppression of the power of his government. He was imprisoned for 27 years in one of South Africa's harshest prisons. But there he did more than wait. He reflected on what his journey had accomplished and what it might could accomplish throughout his lifetime. The day he was released from prison, the entire world watched on television. Four years later, Nelson Mandela was elected president of South Africa. The world watched. Would it be a peaceful transition? The South Africans were brought out of the rule of apartheid, surprising to most of the world in a very peaceful way. The world feared militant dominance, fragmented warring, or civil upheaval. But instead, his presidency is remembered as one of peaceful reconciliation. During one of his times earlier in his life, he had the opportunity to give a speech in court. And he decided to give a speech for the cause of which he had devoted his life. 
And these are a few words. During my lifetime, I've dedicated myself to this struggle of the African people. I have fought against white domination and I've fought against black domination. I've cherished the idea of a democratic and free society. It is an idea for which I'm prepared to die. Reconciliation is beautiful and is powerful in so many various contexts. Here in our nation, we remember in some ways a similar type leader, one of America's favorite presidents, Abraham Lincoln. He came into office at a time where America was torn. Americans, at least some, greatly mistreated other Americans. And the North and the South was greatly dividing. And he wanted to preserve the union of the United States of America. He wanted to abolish slavery. He wanted to strengthen the national government. On one speech before becoming president on October 16th of 1854 with his Kentucky accent and a powerful voice, he spoke of the Kansas Act and he said, the Kansas Act has declared indifference, but as I must think, a convert real zeal for the spread of slavery, I cannot but hate it. I hate it because of the monstrous injustice of slavery itself. I hate it because it deprives our Republican example of its just influence in the world. You see, these two men are remembered as some of the greatest leaders that their countries, of which they represented, ever had. And isn't it wonderful that one of the reasons, if not the main reason why they are remembered and appreciated was because of the value that these men placed upon reconciliation. The way these men hated acts of prejudice, the way these men believed that there truly could be a stronger existence together than apart. I think of another man who gave his life for a similar but much more important cause. The Apostle Paul. Throughout his life, what he lived for, especially from that road to Damascus, and what he longed for, and what he too was willing and did give his life for, was the very fact that reconciliation ought to take place. He never grew comfortable and accepted the fact that people were separated from God. Let's admit it. We grow comfortable with it. Many of us can go to our workplaces and we can work on offices, on floors, in retail places, and we can see person after person after person, and it never passes through our mind. Are they separated from God? What is wrong, brethren? How can we live with such serious indifference and not care? Many of us say that we are devoted Christians, but yet our life, if we looked at the calendar the last month, if we listened to our personal prayers the last month, if we could have our heart revealed, our heart would not reveal that we long for reconciliation. This morning we've had a text capably read for us. It's a beautiful text where Paul just pours out his heart. He pours out his life's cause and purpose to say, it's all about being reconciled. 
But I almost feel like before we do that, we need to take the need to be reminded that there is a separation, that there is a problem. And so to not develop any of these, but many of you know the scriptures. I just want to read some various scriptures to remind you of who we are and the cause that we can be a part of. Are we people of reconciliation? Do we serve in ministries of reconciliation? Are we committed to a word of reconciliation? All three of those are phrases that Paul used in the text that we just read. Why does it matter? Have we forgotten what the main thing is? Have we forgotten in 2 Corinthians 5 and 11 that Paul said, now therefore, this is just a few verses earlier than the text that was read, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Our life is about changing other people's lives with persuasive words. Why? Because Revelation 21 and 27, but there shall by no means enter in it, talking about heaven, anything that defiles or causes an abomination or lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do we live each day aware of the fact in Ephesians 6 and 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, flesh and blood is not our enemy, but there is an enemy that is powerful and it's the enemy of darkness. First Peter 5 and 8, do we believe that this darkness has a leader and this leader is introduced to us as our adversary, the devil, and he walks about as a roaring lion. Do we hear the words of Jesus in John 8 and 34? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Does it bother you? Does it bother you that we walk throughout communities? We live our lives among people who are enslaved to sin. Mandela, and Lincoln had thousands and perhaps hundreds of thousands of people surrounding them that didn't care. But those men rose up to say, we care. We're devoting our life. The apostle Paul would have had hundreds of thousands of people on the earth around him at that time that didn't care that they, there were others enslaved in sin. But Paul gave his life's work so that people could be reconciled to God. Galatians 5 and 1, this is a plea that Paul makes to the people of Galatia. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And that's why that great commission means so much to you and I today. In Mark 16 and 15, he said, go into all the world and preach what? The gospel. What is the gospel? It is the gospel of reconciliation to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. What happens if we don't preach the gospel? What happens if we see people who are slaves of sin and we do not tell them the condition they're in and we do not tell them the reconciliation they could have? He says, they'll be condemned. The burden is on us. What we need is we, we need all to have a heart like the great apostle Paul. We need to have a heart like God expects every disciple to have. To believe that their life can have no greater worth unless it is invested in sharing the good news of reconciliation.
to everyone we know. Today, we will appoint additional deacons. And the question that I would encourage every one of our deacons to ask themselves is what is your ministry about? 1 Corinthians 12, we know that the body is made up of many members. We know that there are even many ministries. Many of our ministries are not anything like the other ministry except in this. There's a common cause that we all work together to promote the main thing, and that is the almighty God of reconciliation. And I want to challenge all of you that work in various ministries to listen and study God's word this morning to see if your motives are pure and what you want to accomplish is really what God wants you to accomplish. I want to challenge you as deacons, no matter what area you lead, does it ultimately come back to your realization that your intention is to lead ministries that would lead people closer to the God of reconciliation? I'd like for you to take your eyes back to what we're going to call for the way we're going to outline this, the very core of the text this morning. I'd like for you to look at verse 18 and 19 again. I want you to notice how many times we have the word reconciled once, we have the word reconciliation twice. Uh, I want you to think about that the idea of reconciliation is to be brought back to God again, is to be restored again. It's not that God has moved, it's that we have moved and mankind needs to be brought back to God again. And notice here, he says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So notice the us there. First he reconciled us, but then next he has given us what? The ministry of reconciliation. What is that? He says, oh, I can tell you what it is. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And here's the third part. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now there's three parts that he naturally breaks these two verses down into. One is the very fact that sin separates us from God. And he says, I want you to be reconciled to God. And he says, he has reconciled us to God. So here we are. We are people that have been brought back. Our relationship has been restored with God. How did that happen? It happened because God reconciled us through Jesus Christ. Just a little side note, it's interesting. God the Father in Scripture is always the object of reconciliation. And God works through Jesus to reconcile us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God was reconciling us. How did He do it? He loved the world so much that He sent His Son, working through His Son so that we could be reconciled. Here we are over in the world. Our sin separates us from God. We need to be what? Reconciled. We need to be brought back. How's God going to reconcile us? He's going to send Jesus. Through Jesus, He's going to reconcile us. And we say, thank God, praise God, we're reconciled to God. Pause here. If we truly are reconciled, then we take on the ministry of reconciliation. What is God's work? God's work is to reconcile mankind to Him. Now that we are reconciled people, what's our work? Our work is the ministry of reconciliation. Now notice that ministry of reconciliation is described very clearly in this text. It is again Christ. God through Christ, reconciling the world to himself. But notice, it's not imputing the trespasses to them. 
In other words, it's going and saying to a world, let me tell you about Christ dying in your place. Your sin has been placed on Jesus' back. And when Jesus died for sin, it wasn't his sin. He died for your sin. He died for my sin. The gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And what that means to us is reconciliation. The ministry, those who are reconciled participate in a ministry of reconciliation, going and telling the world about the God who reconciles through Christ. But now notice, how's that message going to be told truthfully, accurately, How's it going to be passed down throughout time? We understood how it was when the apostles were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They could just go out and miraculously, they could teach it accurately every time. But what about us? Notice this next phrase. It is committed to us. The word is committed to us. What is that word? The word of reconciliation. Commit means to deposit. It is as if God is taking his holy word and he's walking up to you. And I'm saying it's as if, but think about this. It's as if God is saying, you've been reconciled. I want to give you a ministry of reconciliation. Here is how you do it. This is what you teach. This is, imagine God just literally placing the word in your hand and saying, I'm depositing it. I'm giving you this. This is how you do it. Listen. We're quick sometimes to say, this is the best marriage manual there is. This is the best parenting manual there is. This is the best business manual there is. You just fill in the blank. People will just quickly say all these things about the scripture. And you know what's sad? It's sometimes we miss the biggest thing of all. Brethren, God would say, this is the word of reconciliation. There's nothing more important. You live a life of reconciliation and you'll be the spouse you need to be. You live a life of reconciliation and you'll be the parent you need to be. You'll be the business person you need to be. You'll be the neighbor you need to be. A life of reconciliation changes you completely. It gives you a different mindset because now your whole life becomes a ministry that is led by the word of reconciliation. Let's drop back and then let's drop afterwards and let's see three things that if we are willing to do this, if we're willing to be reconciled, Reconciliation, our ministry of reconciliation, committed to the word. First, I'd like for you to see before we leave this, look again at that text in 5, 18 and 19. Notice again how it began. Now all things are of God. Can you say that? Deacons, can you say that? Everything about my ministry, it's all about God. Everything about the people I lead, it's all about God. It's never about me. It's never about my pride. It's never about my ego. It's never about some kind of earthly, fancy scheme. 
ultimately, it's always all about God. Now notice, that's how it led off the points we just developed. When it's all about God, we can be people that are reconciled. We can participate in ministries of reconciliation. We live a life devoted to the word of reconciliation. But it has to be all about God. Notice how things are going to change. Let's back up and for, for a good way. It's going to be a good change. Look back in 14 and 15. When the motive of love, the motive of love will leave us unselfish. Isn't this beautiful? We're not going to be able to study every point that is made in each one of these, but I want us to read these passages and see one main point to each one of these that led up to and followed what we've just developed. 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ compels us. If you underline things in your Bible, you ought to underline that. That's one of the greatest phrases that you can read in the scripture. The word compel is strong. It means to arrest. It means to hold. It means to grab hold of. Think about what he's saying here. The love of Christ compels us. Someone says, well, you really live a different life than what, you know, I knew you back in high school or I knew you back when you were younger. I knew you, you're really a different. Oh yes, I am different. Why? The love of Christ is holding me now. I'm arrested. My life is completely different. What changed you? The love of Christ changed me. See, when I was living over here, it was love for me. It was love for flesh. Now that I'm reconciled to God, I love Christ. Let me tell you what he did for me. Let me tell you what he did for you. When the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, Jesus died for all of us, then all died. We all died spiritually. Remember Romans 3 and 23, all sin falls short of the glory of God. We all died. And he died for all that those who live, here it is, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. When we live this life compelled by the love of God, we realize the only reason I'm saved is because Jesus loved me more than he loved himself. And now I take on the characteristics of Christ. I'm willing to love others and I'm willing to promote others instead of promote myself. Listen, deacons, we will do our ministries in a very unselfish way if we first love Christ. When the love of Christ grabs us, arrests us, then the unselfish service will be natural from that point on. Number two, let's drop down and read 16 and 17. Notice the work of reconciliation leaves us spiritual, not fleshly. Therefore, Verse 16, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Remember when, when Paul was out persecuting Christians? He knew Christ then, but he thought Christ was just an earthly man. And he says, my life's changed. Now I don't see Christ as just an earthly man anymore. And he says, because of that, I don't see anybody anymore in the same fleshly way. Now Paul sees everyone spiritually. Now let's read on. He talks about this change more. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In this life of reconciliation, we stop looking at individuals as just a fleshly person and we start seeing everyone through the lenses of a ministry of reconciliation because we follow the word of reconciliation. We are reconciled people and we want others to be reconciled and so we just see people differently. 
Listen, any time a ministry loses its love for Christ and it loses its spiritual vision, it becomes nothing more than a secular club. It may be a secular benevolent club. It may be a secular social club. Whatever it is, but it becomes secular. But when it is led and filled by people who the love of Christ has compelled them, they are reconciled people. They are serving in a ministry of reconciliation and they do not, because of that, see according to the flesh. They see spiritual. What do your prayers sound like? What is your heart? Do you really care if people are reconciled to God or not? And then finally, look with me if you will in 20 and 21. We need to lead so God is heard through you. Look at verse 20. Now then, we just, 18 and 19, were the verses about reconciled, reconciled, us being reconciled, the ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors. That's someone who can speak on behalf of, officially for. Now we are ambassadors. Now keep in mind, the apostles were the ultimate ambassadors. But when we read from the word of God, we too are speaking words of authority, not based on our own authority, but we're speaking authoritative because God has said it. And so now we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, now notice this phrase right here. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see what he's saying? He says, look, now we're official ambassadors. We can speak. And he says, when you listen to us, you will hear God pleading through us. Isn't that amazing? You can hear God pleading through you. When's the last time someone at your workplace heard God pleading through you? When's the last time one of your friends heard God pleading through you? When's the last time that, that, that you had the opportunity to allow someone to hear God pleading through you. Now, you say, well, what would God be saying? That last phrase there, be reconciled to God. That's what God is going to plead. He's going to plead for the main thing, be reconciled to God. Now, notice verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, Jesus had none of his own sin, to be sin for us. He took, we saw this back up in verse 19, he took our sin and placed it on Jesus. So when Jesus went to the cross, he took our sin. Now pause there. What was put on you? If your sins were put on Christ, what was put on you? The rest of this is absolutely amazing that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Brethren, that's grace. That's mercy. God says, I sent Jesus and I took your sin and I put on Jesus and I took Jesus' righteousness and I put on you. You're going to stand on the day of judgment as a reconciled child of God and God is going to see the righteousness of Christ in you. And what about your sin? He saw those through Christ on the cross. I want to remind you of how this was prophesied in a beautiful way in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. But he was wounded, not for his, 
for our transgressions. He was bruised, not for his, for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Notice, he didn't need healing. We needed healing. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We all died, he mentioned earlier, Romans 3 and 23, we all sinned. All like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've all gone astray. What do we need? To be reconciled. How could we be reconciled? Our sin laid upon Christ. God reconciles through Christ. His righteousness laid upon us. We now are given the opportunity by His grace and mercy to have a ministry to tell the world of reconciliation that is revealed to us through the Holy Word of God. What have I learned today? Number one, I learned that leaders must first love Christ. And if they'll do this, this will make them unselfish leaders. Number two, I've learned that God's leaders must be spiritual. Great secular leadership isn't the same as great spiritual leadership. And number three, I learned that if I represent God, if I'm an ambassador for God, His pleading to others will be heard through me. God did not make each of us as individuals to be preachers. He didn't make each of our ministries so that everybody preaches or teaches in every ministry. But together, every ministry should be a ministry of reconciliation. That's what we accomplish together. Deacons, if we ever lose that focus, we have become nothing more than a secular group. You may have read lately in the paper or online about an atheist church that is spreading across America. They're drawn to the idea of what Christians have in fellowship and they're drawn to the idea of what Christians do in good works. And so they are going to mimic and recreate those very same things without the core of God and a relationship of reconciliation. Now, I want you to just meditate this afternoon on this. If you leave out the principles that we have just studied, you could lead your ministry in an atheist church and do the same things for the same motive. But when everything we do is because we are reconciled people, and it's all ultimately about a ministry of reconciliation because we learn it in the word of reconciliation. The motives and what we seek to accomplish is very different. This morning, is there anything that we could do or say that would encourage you to be reconciled to God if in fact you're not this very moment? Listen, there is nothing, nothing more important than you being reconciled to God. 
It doesn't matter how generous you're planning on being this holiday season to people in need. It doesn't matter how good you've been to a neighbor next door. It doesn't matter how moral you try to live. If you are not reconciled to God through Christ, you have missed it all. I don't say that to throw rocks at you or beat you up. I say that to plead with you. We are going to stand on this great and final day of judgment. And it then will be so clear to us that all that mattered was to be one with God. Let's see that now. And let's live that now. So that day will be a wonderful blessing. Let's share it with others now so that day will be a wonderful blessing for so many others. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ, if you're ready to be restored 